My name is Christina, and thank you for checking into the Home for Rewood OCs. This is the podcast where a friend and I talk, or in this case, two friends and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and self-inserts, and I already kind of spoiled a joke because today we have two guests on the show! Woo! Oh! Hi. One of the people we have on the show today is returning guest Tanner. Hi, I'm Tanner. My pronouns are they, them. Yes. I got some shiny new pronouns since last time. And we have new guests as well. Hi, I'm Lindsay. I use she, her pronouns. I'm the uh, co-host of Not If I Reboot You First with Tanner. Yes. With me. Yeah. Which is a which is a very good show. I appreciate it very much. I listen to it. <laughs> I recommend it to my friends. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've had the promo on Wayward before or not. No, because I never sent it to you because we're uh, working on getting some new music and then we're going to rewrite it. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. In that case, then let me know when you get that, and I can patch it at the end of an episode. Oh yeah, I'll be sending it to everyone I know and everyone I don't know. Oh gosh. Okay. All of that aside, uh, I have gathered you here today to talk about original characters. Who are we going to be talking about? So we're going to be talking about um, Cuisine Bouchard, La Famille Bouchard. They were characters um, that we created way. I mean, according to the Google Doc, twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. So, okay, not way back in time, but it feels like way back in time. Okay. Then again, I move provinces, so that's probably contributing yeah. to it. So, anyway, um, this idea for uh, La Famille Bouchard uh, came from when I was doing a big binge on uh, Netflix of various cooking shows. Mm-hmm. Um, especially... Uh, Mind of a Chef, which was hosted by the late Anthony Bourdain, one of my like favorite people. I'm writing and... these down so that I can look them up later because yeah, <laughs> I love me, I love me a good non-American cooking show. Yeah, and the other one was uh, Chef's Table, and um, like with both shows, each uh episode was looking into a different chef's. Um, thinking process and creative process and how they came up with their dishes, delve into their live stories. Um, pretty interesting stories too. Like I remember this one chef, I think he is in Chicago and at one point he got tongue cancer and he temporarily lost the ability to taste stuff. Was it was it tongue cancer or salivary gland cancer? Um, I think it was tongue cancer okay. because he was going through chemo and like he lost all of his taste buds for a while. Okay. I asked because yeah, my, like have... my uncle had salivary gland cancer. Oh, okay. Whoa. Humans, man. Yeah. Cancer, man. That is the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was watching those shows and some other stuff about French cuisine and I just got really into it and I'm like, um, I like sitcoms and mm-hmm. I like family sitcoms. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was like a sitcom out there about a family of uh, cooks They've got, like, a professional restaurant, but, like, instead of going the usual route of, like, they're actually kind of incompetent, they're, like, super intelligent, super creative, but it's, you know, A-type people mm-hmm. and very creative people. Like, they got their foibles and all that. Okay. And it, and then I started talking to Tanner about it, and it kind of blossomed from there, I guess? Yeah, this was uh, one of the subjects of our car ride discussions, which... <laughs> Oh, we had a very bad habit of we would be out somewhere and then I'd be driving Lindsay home and we'd get home a very reasonable hour, like 9.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then we would sit in the car for the next five-ish hours <laughs> talking about story ideas. 
I uh, I can sympathize with that very much. Uh, I had that happen several times when I was in high school. One time we literally, uh, this is related to baking. Uh, one time, one of my friends was like, you know what? I just really want to bake an apple pie. So we went to the store, we got stuff, and we made <laughs> apple pie. And then I ended up sitting on their floor until I think it was 2.30 in the morning. At the time, I didn't have a curfew because I have, because I always have been and always will be a square. And uh, <laughs> and it got to the point where my dad was texting me like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> all because we've been sitting there eating apple pie and talking <laughs> so i can i can relate to this on a very deep level oh yeah. well except you actually went inside we would park the car in the driveway and sit in the car the house was right there we could have gone in and sat on a couch yeah. with like heaters and everything instead of my sitting mother in was there winter. and she can hear everything <laughs> But yeah, so yeah, Lindsay brings me in to help develop this idea, which it we talked about it so much that eventually I said, okay, we, we ha- do have to graduate from the car. And we made a date to go to my house and like, with our laptops, and we made a whole, like, four seasons and a family tree. <laughs> of course you did, because, uh, Tanner, you are the organizer and the spreadsheet person. <laughs> when all else fails, make a spreadsheet. Yep. <laughs> I think this was just as you were really getting into making spreadsheets for everything. It was the impetus. <laughs> yes. We'll get you a shirt that says, make a spreadsheet for it. <laughs> I should. Yes. <laughs> get that onto a tea public thing. And yeah, we did research because we kind of extended this into like who um, works in this particular restaurant. Okay. And, yeah, researching, like, the actual structure of, like, a French restaurant. And, oh, boy, there's a whole bunch of different positions in there. Mm -hmm. And we had little bits of, like, character points for every single position. But (laughs) this is not a six-hour podcast. Yeah, So we're only... (laughs) Well, as I said to Tanner the other day, some of these characters are, like, single-joke characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So instead, we're focusing on the family itself, who are the ones we had fleshed out the most. The Bouchard family. Okay, okay. Let's hit it. Yeah. So, um, we should probably just start with the um, nuclear family, and then we'll expand to some of the relatives. Yeah, we, we don't have to get into the hundred-year backstory. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was going to be a joke, where there's always a story, and they're always chefs. <laughs> Even oh, going back yeah. to the Stone Age. <laughs> That's just their thing. So, anyway, we started with um, the parents, uh, Jean-Philippe and Ghislaine. Uh, yeah, they're... Okay, so the family is, like, a mixture of Quebecois and, uh, like, continental French. I even went into, like, where exactly Jean-Philippe's from. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. Jean-Philippe, he is the, um, founder of the Brasserie Bouchard. That's the name of the restaurant. Um, a brasserie is a type of restaurant that it's kind of, like, a little more classy than a bistro, and they tend to also have, like, their own brewery. Okay. It's cool. Yeah. Okay. Um... So he's retired in hard quotation marks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's attempting know... to be reti- retired, except he can't stop himself. Oh boy, yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah, and um, he's married to his amazing wife, uh, Ghislaine Leroy. Um, and she always goes by uh, Ghislaine Leroy because in Quebec, uh, when you get married, um, you don't change your name. Okay. It's actually in the law. Huh. As I found out recently. Huh. Yeah. It's weird. Um, 
anyway, they got four kids, uh, Stephanie, Danielle, Mathieu, and Marie-Laure. So uh, Jean-Philippe, he's actually from France. He's from the city of Lyon, which um, is in not the southeast, but a little bit north of the southeast. And the reason why I picked uh, Lyon was because it's kind of like the heart of classical French cuisine. It's where kind of everything really came together. Um, because it's kind of, I, again, I'm, I'm the historian, historian in quotation marks because I don't have the actual, you know, credentials yet. No, no, um, no, you, you are the historian. You have, you have earned that title. <laughs> <laughs> I will confer it upon you like a university. Yeah. I have written the 20 page essay that my poor professor had to suffer through. Um, <laughs> like I picked the humongous topic that was, uh, the... Uh, Napoleonic Wars in Spain. That was a bad decision. I regret it every day. Um, this is just a very like <laughs> hashtag on brand for both yeah. of you so far. We've only been recording for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and we've gone through so much. So anyway, Lyon. Lyon is important to French cuisine because um, it's got it brought in that Italian influence because it's not that far from Italy. Um, and it's also like kind of in the heart of the French agricultural sector. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just influenced a lot of stuff. A lot of cooks came out of there. Um, a lot of the <clears throat> major cookbooks were based out of Lyonnaise cuisine. Mm-hmm. And it got really popular in like this region in particular in the 1930s through Michelin, like the Michelin Tire Company. Yeah. Because, uh, like, you ever heard of the uh, Michelin Guide yeah, and yes. Michelin Stars? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So I guess this is more for the audience who wouldn't know. So Michelin, like, probably everybody knows that they're a tire company. Mm-hmm. Um, they're based out of Michelin in Belgium. And they're, like, a major tire corporation. And they did a lot of, like, these travel logs. And they would send their reviewers out to go to, like, hotels, restaurants, whatever, to say, uh, go check out this place. And they would assign stars uh, for how good the place was. So, like, mm-hmm. one star, particularly for restaurants, it's like, um, if you're in the city, um, maybe try and get there uh, if you can. Mm-hmm. Two stars, you have to go here mm-hmm. when you're in the city. Three stars, you plan your trip around this restaurant. Yes, because when you are in that location, you will do nothing else except for waiting to get into this restaurant because they have yeah. three Michelin stars. Mm-hmm. Yes. Though it's gotten to the point now where even having one Michelin star is a huge boon for restaurants mm-hmm. because, like, you before yeah. it went from like pretty good on Yelp to like this codifies the local cooking mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Michelin stars is that there's a whole bunch throughout Europe, and there's a whole bunch in America. There are no Michelin star restaurants in Canada, and I think. Uh members of michelin have said that like they want to come to canada and see what's here but they just don't have the time yeah and so that's so weird so the plot because we had imagined this whole thing as a sitcom so our idea was that it starts off when a michelin star reviewer just happens to be waylaid in wait where did Uh, we set this even uh vancouver vancouver yeah he said reviewer uh, is waylaid in vancouver and he goes to eat at the restaurant, and it's like, this is amazing. And they are the first Michelin star restaurant in Canada. And all of a sudden, they go from a pretty successful French restaurant to all of a sudden, like, the crown jewel of the Canadian cooking society. Okay, okay. I can dig it. Much to 
Much to the chagrin of other cities like Toronto and Montreal, which you would think would be the first places to get a Michelin star restaurant because those are like, Toronto's the biggest city in Canada. Montreal is one of the Frenchest cities in Canada. (laughs) And of course, this also comes around the time where my other favorite trope comes into play, a succession crisis. Oh, no. Yeah. So those four kids, um... So, oh no, uh, is this Game of Thrones but with bacon and yeast? <laughs> Game of Scones. Game of Scones! <laughs> yes! Yes, because Stephanie and Matthew treat this like it's Game of Thrones. Oh no. Yeah. Are they teens? No, they are. Full grown th- adults. We only have oh, one no. teen in the family. Um, yeah. But let's, yeah. let's go in order. Yeah, You've got so, Stephanie. You talk about Stephanie because she was okay. your homegirl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, Stephanie is the oldest. She's um, she's a bit more entrenched in more of the classical French cuisine, very A-type. She's already like the uh, head chef taking over from uh, Jean-Philippe. She, yeah, she's, she's very much her father's daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she is like the successor to the family legacy. And then her younger brother... Um, Mathieu, he's the family rebel because he got into um, what was it? Molecular gastronomy. So that's like the breaking down the food and making it in basically it's all about that foam. Honestly, like, I I am very slow to nix any kind of food, but I just I just do not understand the appeal of molecular gastronomy. Like, I would I would much rather go and just honestly get like a nice burger and shake from the burger place up the street from my house <laughs> then then go to a gastropub and eat something that is a deconstructed hamburger with essence of fries yeah <laughs> essence of asparagus all over the place they just took some uh. green food coloring and just like squirted it on some foam <laughs> yeah Mathieu is very much the experimental guy. His whole shtick was that he basically, he didn't really abandon the family, but the whole family has been very much staying close together, and Mathieu was the only one who just went off and did his own thing. And then after however many years, he's returned, and it's not like he's the prodigal son come to exact revenge, but he's like, hey dad, look, I made some new food. It's still technically French, but I'm using techniques techniques, and all sorts of things that I've learned from traveling around the world, and I think I have a shot at this. And Jean-Philippe is like, oh yeah, I think you might actually. <laughs> Stephanie, step up your game. <laughs> like, we have the scene where we are introduced to both, like, where uh, Stephanie and Matthew see each other for the first time in a while, and they immediately start chalking, chalking stuff at each other. Okay. And it's just like Jean-Philippe trying to like rescue the steak so that it doesn't land on the floor and this other thing from being smashed mm-hmm. and everybody's just like ducking out of the way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit zany, but like do do we want to go through the other two kids and then dip into the story or plot lines? Yeah, let's get yeah. these other two kids out of the way. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we have so Daniel who is second not a child, chef. eldest son, not a chef. Yeah. First not a chef in the Bouchard line. <laughs> he takes more after his mother in terms of um, financial and economic acumen. Uh, Ghislaine's uh, job is that she studied to be an economist and she's like the family like financial planner, mm-hmm. basically. Like she's in charge of the finance side. And 
Daniel follows in that, but he is also Tanner's anxiety son. He's one of my <laughs> endless parade of anxiety boys. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Very much many of the Faulty Towers style plots <laughs> that would emerge from this show start with the phrase, something's gone wrong, don't let Daniel find out. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, he's also the only one that's married. Uh, Stephanie's got a girlfriend, uh, Emily. I think they were engaged, actually. Yeah, they were engaged. Um, We had, yeah, we had them start as engaged. They got married, I think, season two. Yeah. Uh, Daniel is married to the pastry chef, Amy. Yeah, there's fun with Emily and Amy when I realize, oh, crap, that's what I named them. (laughs) Um, and they got two kids, um, Elodie and Sasha. Uh, Sasha is a boy, but they call him Sasha because weird French stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so his whole thing is the anxiety stuff, and um, he likes order, and he likes structure, and the thing about Stephanie Mathieu is that they do not bring order and structure yeah. into his life. As, a, as anyone who's ever worked in food service of any kind can tell you, it, there is very little any kind of a regular schedule or order to anything that goes on. <laughs> Which is why he lives in his office. <laughs> Everything about a kitchen is so precarious. I was talking to Lindsay's brother the other day, mm-hmm. and he he recently got a job washing dishes at a ramen place, and they had like a huge a huge amount of people coming in the other day, yeah. and everyone was running ramen, and they almost ran out of bowls. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, he said that they got down to like their last three bowls, and then like a bunch of stuff started coming back in and he's like, oh, thank God. Just start massively cleaning everything. Yeah. Crank that industrial strength dishwasher. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other child, the youngest child, uh, Marie Lore, uh, she's still a teenager. She's still figuring out what she wants to do. She's also Uh, adopted. Yeah, she's also adopted. um, And... She one of her plot points was that she got a job at like some fast food restaurant. I think the Cluck and Hut. <laughs> yeah. So... Oh no, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. So kind of a one of those old like hasn't been updated since the seventies places, and it's in a bit of an out of the way place. And like one of her things was that like um, she needs a ride home, and she calls Matthew, but Matthew's over at one of his girlfriend's places, and. Or boyfriends. Or boyfriends. Forgot oh, yeah. to mention, Matthew is also a textbook disaster buy. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> disaster buy with a bit of a kinky side, too, but we won't go too much into that. It's more just for the fun visuals of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like someone having to hold his phone for him while he talks to his sister. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so having to rescue his sister is one of the like fun side things. And, yeah, her whole thing is just, like, trying to figure out what she's going to do with her life. Um, I think we settled on her getting into law. Yeah, her own spinoff show <laughs> as a lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fun with Canadian civil law because we've got two systems here because of Quebec. Yeah, there's a lot of talking about Quebec uniqueness. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my understanding of Quebec from the very little that I know about Quebec, which is that <laughs> apparently you can't run any kind of, like, sweepstakes or awards contest and include Quebec in it. <laughs> yeah, because they got different lottery laws. It, it is... It's French! It's French, but it's, like, backwards French. That, that's, that's a question for a different podcast where they talk about the economy. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
talk uh, fake money here. Yes. <laughs> we talk imaginary money. Yeah, and let's see. I yeah, we also created a bit of an extended family. So like um uh Jean Philippe's mother, uh Fabienne. Uh she's also referred to as Ma Fabienne because there's this is going back to Lyon, there's this entire thing called the Maza Lyon, the mothers of Lyon, and they're kind of like the matriarchal backbone of Lyonnaise cuisine because they're the ones so when go again with the <laughs> with you, you the got Michelin so into that that you were shaking your camera. <laughs> Lindsay was Lindsay was dramatically the, the, the Marseillais is playing, <laughs> and I am feeling the spirit of Marianne. <laughs> Maybe the wine a little bit. I I have been listening to way too much Revelations by uh by Mike Duncan. That that's a great podcast if you ever want to get into a history podcast. Um. Though he is starting the Russian Revolution, and he says he does not know how long the season is going to go. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure we have a note somewhere that Mayor Fabienne uh, kicked the Nazis out of Lyon. Good. Yeah. So, Good. Um, so with the whole Michelin star thing, uh, a lot of the restaurants that the early uh, reviewers were going to were the, like these little like roadside restaurants or uh, cellar restaurants that were run mostly by. Um, women who uh like in the 1930s like a lot of people were starting to get rid of like the made like the huge households like the down abbey household so not a lot of people needed an in-house cook anymore mm -hmm. so these women like they had skills and they could run a run a kitchen what's so different about running a restaurant mm -hmm. so they set up these restaurants and that's how leon in particular became really popular because they were also like really gregarious and the food was cheap <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so it was Mara Fabienne and her mother, Mary Eugenie, who got her start um, initially as a cook in one of those big houses, and then World War One happened, so she was cooking at, like, a canteen near the front lines. That's mm -hmm. where she met her husband. All that good stuff. Okay, um, okay. And then Ghislaine's family, they're a fairly wealthy family, and I started with her brother, who was based on an actual um, guy, a, a big-time figure in Quebec by the name of Pierre-Carl Pelladeau. Uh, he runs a telecom company. Um, he's, so, funny story about him. Um, he was born Pierre Carl. Carl with a C. And then when he was older, he decided to change Carl with a C to Carl with a K in honor of Karl Marx. Even though this is the guy who inherited a massive tele or, uh, telecommunications company from his father that's... Um, yeah, it's... Hey, uh, quick question. Is he white? <laughs> Oh yeah, he's white. He <laughs> is. He is old school Quebecois, habitant, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Pretty much the entire family is white except for Mary Lord. So we had to get like the expanding the diversity on all the ex like the relative the what are they called romances and the rest yeah. of the staff. Yeah. So like uh, Emily is uh, Chinese Canadian. Uh, Jessica, I think we were. I pictured her as being First Nations, more than likely Coast Salish. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Jessica was Matthew's love interest. Okay, yeah, okay. the main love interest. They were on-again, off-again drama, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, like the plot lines would be like, Matthew comes back, like he did a big world tour, if you will, mostly working along the ways. Like he went to China, he went to India, that sort of stuff. Um... And he comes back and he has all these skills, but Stephanie's like, um, no, this is my restaurant. You get out of my kitchen. <laughs> oh boy. 
Yeah. So you got that drama there. Um, you've got uh, Philippe also has an older brother named Eric, and he has his own restaurant and vineyard and France and and it's three stars and three oh, Michelin stars. No. <laughs> so there's always like, well, Eric always, you know, <clears throat> no, I get a Michelin star, but then Eric gets a three Michelin star restaurant. <laughs> and he, Eric, named his restaurant after Mer Fabienne. Yeah. Because he's the favorite. Oh, air quote, air quotes. Air, air yikes. quotes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Yeah. And we're playing this all for laughs. And I think we also had uh, Amy is pregnant with uh, her and Daniel's third child. And there's some stuff about that. And then, yeah, it was just like more like um, episode of the week stuff. Mm-hmm. I think we were doing. Mm-hmm. What zany scheme, what wacky customers are going to show up this week? (laughs) And uh, what sort of interactions from, like, the rest of the staff we were going to have. I think her standouts were, like, Jessica, who becomes an a love interest. Um, And then the other, like, really memorable guy I had was Charlie Sue. Um, So Charlie is um, what's called in the French cooking world as a débouillard. Uh, basically a fixer. So, like, if it's 11 p.m. and you're about to, cl- about to close and you have that one customer come in and ask for, like, that one thing that you're out of, mm-hmm. you call Charlie. Okay. And his entire character is that he is sketchy as all hell. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he does a lot of stuff, and uh, Vancouver has quite the underworld, so... Duly noted. Yeah. Yeah. It was he was really filled out the only thing missing from Lindsay's brand here, which was organized crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm more the true crime fan. <laughs> that I believe. Uh, that I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So um he has very dubious methods of getting uh like your steak at two o'clock in the morning. Because you just have to have it for that one customer. And then, like, I think other weird customers included, like, um, yeah, as I said, there's quite the underworld. So uh, there's trads and tongs and uh, Yakuza in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, there's gang wars there. I understood one of those. Uh, so trads and tongs are the Chinese gangs and Yakuza are the Japanese, Japanese gangs. Yes. And then um, I think the there's the Hells Angels that they've been thoroughly kicked out. Wait, no, no, they still have a presence. Yeah, yeah, they do, last time I checked. And, um, oh, who was the other group? I think that there's some, like, East Indian gangs, and yeah. It's fun. But it's still a very high-class restaurant, so you get the really classy people and the really classy people who are a little nefarious. Yeah. Okay. There's also, like, this um, issue in Vancouver with uh, the housing situation, because, um... Most places run for about a million dollars at, like, the bottom end. Um, Nope. Yeah, Yeah. so there's a lot of condos and all that, and a lot of empty buildings, because basically, it's used for money laundering. Just straight up money laundering. Okay. Uh, Yeah. That that reminds me of the, uh, I think it's the mattress firm conspiracy here in the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) A mattress firm conspiracy? Yeah, there, there was something going around the internet a while ago where it was like, 
hey, like, have you ever considered how many of these, like, mattress stores are within, like, the same, within the same five square miles of suburbia, let's say. And someone was like, they're, they're laundering money. They're all there so they can launder money. And I was like, okay. Or there's just a lot of houses. <laughs> so anyway, the whole thing was like he had the high class people, you had the high class people who are kind of sketchy, and you just straight up had like the dudes who are wearing the shark skin suits, and you can just see the tattoos above their the collars of their shirts. Great. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think probably the next question is uh what is kind of like the overarching plot of of this story is the show actually called uh cuisine bouchard is it called too many cooks in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) i think our working title has been uh cuisine bouchard yeah we've stuck with that pretty yeah pretty pretty consistently yeah okay so basically like the first season was going to be more uh just zany situation of the week and then the next season was to that's where it would really start kind of like getting the teeth i guess yeah yeah mainly because we could only keep the plot of stephanie and matthew competing for the position of head of the restaurant for so long Mm -hmm. so So i think we wrap that up in season two yeah with one of them getting their own restaurant no we changed we said that matthew was gonna get the main restaurant yeah. And so Stephanie takes a position at a cooking school. Yeah. Okay, okay. I can see that. I can see that happening. From what yeah. I know of the characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's very much the the whole show, like the themes going through the whole show is tradition versus innovation and the idea of legacy and whether you, you want to follow it or not and how. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, cuz um uh, the next season was going to involve Mayor Fabienza State! Oh no! Yeah, because, you know, she's... I had her born in... I even had... Yeah, we even came up with, like, when they were born. So, Mayor Fabienne was born in 1929. So, as of now, she would be just turning 90. Okay. Uh Yeah. Yeah, the final arc in the third season. We planned these all out by seasons. Yeah, <laughs> of course you did. The final arc of the third season was basically a family trip back to Lyon because something involving the land ownership messed up and now they have to go back and fight for ownership of the restaurant against all of Mare Fabienne's siblings. Does that include Eric? Or uh, surviving descendants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. there's Eric, there's some uh, distant cousins on... Um... Uh, on the grandfather's side, uh, Andre, uh, Andre Bouchard's side, um, because like the estate consisted of like the original restaurant and the Bouchard vineyard, and just like weird French laws and all that sort of stuff about who gets what. Okay, and that's where we'd probably retread most of like the past of the uh, Bouchard family. Um, that's when we can whip out the family tree again. Yes. Yeah, and. Yeah, have, like, flashbacks. We had very stylized flashbacks planned to fit with the different eras. Um, Like, in the 20th century, um, when you have the flashback to when 
uh jean-philippe and Ghislaine first met and were falling in love it's in paris but it's in a very um french nouveau uh style like the kind of like the 60s 70s 80s films from that time okay um kind of soft focused and all the quiet quiet sort of french talking that sort of stuff okay um and then you go further back to Mara Fabienne, and it's like 1940s, um, a bit more of like the stage. Like you've watched movies from like back in the 30s and 40s, that you can tell that they're like stage actors first, yeah, uh, before they're film actors. And then you go back to Mara Eugenie's time, and it's like the silent era, so it's like the dramatic posing and then the title cards. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was sort of, like, how we were going to do... Um, I don't know what we were going to do with any, like, flashbacks or stories set earlier than that. But maybe in a style reflective of the time period with all the costumes and all that. Yeah, we didn't quite get that far back in the generations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we didn't plan that far, but we had, like, oh, yes, we had ancestors who were chefs for Louis the Fourteenth in Versailles. And everybody is in wigs and lace and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like that time period too. The the sixteen hundreds were awesome. I can tell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I talk so much about Versailles. <sighs> um, and then so yeah, they would get that all settled. Um, and eventually, let's see. Eventually, it ended up that Stephanie came back to the restaurant and she took over for Matthew because he didn't want to be running the restaurant, he realized. Yeah. yeah. Because of it very much a thing of as soon as he gets put into the position of take over this very traditional French cooking restaurant and all of a sudden he can't necessarily do the experimental stuff that he was like going all ham for in the early seasons. You can't chase the passion project. So Exactly. Yeah. So that's where he gets his own place and... Mm-hmm. Eventually, you settle stuff, and Marie Laura figures out what she's going to do. She's going to go to university for a pre-law program. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have this big 25th anniversary special. and Terry, I don't know you... what reality show I was watching, because I know I'm the one responsible for this plot point in the Google Doc. I said that like th- they did a really bad reality TV show, and one of them tracked down a kid that came from like a sperm donation that Jean-Philippe did, and they're like, this is your child now. I don't know where that thought came from, and that's bad. And if this ever yeah. comes to fruition, that's not happening. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's not good for a fourth season. We'll just keep it, like, everybody figures out what they want to do. And we have various adorable kids saying various adorable things. Mm-hmm. And all sorts of amazing food. Like, we would have, like, yeah. the the food porn shots. Good. Of just them like preparing stuff and mm-hmm. plating it, and it's just like you will be hungry by the end of this episode. Oh yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like any good cooking show, you you see the opening credits roll, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I love the opening cre- credits to uh, the chef's table because they do like that. Um, oh. I forget what it's called, but it's like the stop motion photography or something, like where it looks like it. It's like uh, the photo shots, and it looks like everybody's speeding up and oh, like, behind like time lapse. Yeah, yes. time lapse. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do it time lapse style so that they can like show people like setting, preparing the table, and then like plating the food, and it's just like 
super gorgeous and set to amazing music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like that was the general plot, the general characters. Oh yeah, we also forgot to mention um yeah, Ghislaine's brother and a bit of the extended family because like he's a rich guy. He's got like uh oh oh who was it? Supermodel life. Yeah. yeah. Russian supermodel life. Um Okay. But they're very eccentric. Okay. Yeah, like pet armadillo, I think was one of the jokes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't really affect the plot. They just show up when we needed them to be like, hey, look at how hot and eccentric we are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we name one of the poor kids Hubert. Or Uber, but everybody calls him Hubert. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, he would go, my name is Uber, And they're like, it's Hubert. <laughs> there was also definitely a part where... um. Daniel's wife goes into labor with their kid and he's like stuck in traffic on the other end of the city so most of the episode is just him booking it across <laughs> yeah because I can only imagine this going down like initial D now because this is Vancouver it's all mountains I mean I just pictured him halfway through just having to get out on foot <laughs> or he has to buy someone's bike off of them oh, some hipster's bike he can't break properly. And of course, these are the three things that Daniel should not be doing. Biking, yeah. running, being in traffic to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, Vancouver traffic is um, a nightmare. I, uh, I will take mountains. your word for it. Oh, yeah. we should have an... I'm, I know we had some point where they visited Quebec, but can you imagine Daniel in Quebec traffic? Oh. oh. You know where all the road signs are suggestions? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's, no. Um, there's no speed maxes, there's only speed minimums, and the roads, um, so most of the construction contracts given out by the province of Quebec usually go to various, um, construction companies that are owned by the mafia. <laughs> so they're not good quality. Sometimes okay. you take a wrong turn because you don't know you're in a construction zone, and you're about t- 12 feet from just flying off the edge of an unfinished bridge. Yeah! Uh, yikes! Yeah, there, there's, um... It might be finished now, but I've been to Quebec City twice, and there was this one unfinished overpass. Like, they had one side done, but there's, like, a chunk of the other side that wasn't done, so... Oh, that was uh, fun to traverse I'm in a car. I'm so glad that the only time I ever went to Canada so far, we just literally drove into Thunder Bay and then drove out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Thunder Bay is kind of like one of the armpits of Canada, so yeah, you saved yourself some trouble. Yeah, all of Regina's on construction right now. Every single main road has a big construction section right in the middle. Yikes. But hey, at least when you go through the construction areas, it says, here's the speed limit, here's the detour, you go this way, and this way, and this way, and you're done. Good. You don't have to guess. <laughs> and please use your proper signaling, because... Oh god, I'll... Turn on your blinker! Yeah, it's a lot of turn on your blinker. Please! I know you're a farmer! Please use your blinker! Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how many guys have ended up in, like, the the ditches around Ring Road? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only one. B 
because you refuse to go on Ring Road. I'd go on it now. Now I'm the only person who drives properly on Ring Road. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I've said it multiple times before. Traffic safety is the only heteronormative thing I support. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, in Quebec, there was this one time I had to, I had to go to this town called Belcartier outside of Quebec City and I had to take a taxi and it was I was white knuckling it the entire time because the guy was going at least 120k and the roads were like bum 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 yikes yeah yeah Quebec's a beautiful province otherwise <laughs> I totally recommend going to Montreal you'll you'll have a good time and Quebec City is also a pretty fun time I recommend walking Duly. just don't go during the winter festival or else the demonic snowman will come find you Oh, don't be so mean about Bonhomme. He has no soul. <laughs> okay, he's got dead eyes, but like... It's like gazing into the abyss. <laughs> it's not that bad. Just <laughs> load yourself up with beer and poutine and you'll he's be fine. He's a Power Rangers monster. <laughs> okay, so Bonhomme is the mascot for uh, the, the uh, Winter Carnival. And... Um, He's like a big snowman, and he's dressed in an old-style toque and one of those uh, belts, like the Métis-style belt. And his thing is winter! Livre! Yeah. <laughs> Quebec is weird. I've just been sitting here with, like, my hand on my face and my chin <laughs> in my hands for the last, like, three minutes. <laughs> I support you, but y'all are weird up there. <laughs> He's the sinister cousin of the Michelin Man. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. The Michelin Man at least has something of a soul. He likes to go fast. <laughs> and eat well. And eat well, yeah. But, yeah, like, Canada is a interesting place. I, I think it's mostly the French people that make it weird. I mean, I'll, I'll agree to that. Yeah. Okay, like, yeah, we're two Anglos who are crapping on that province, but, like, they sometimes deserve it. We roast them acknowledging that we're easily roastable as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. everybody roasts each other. Like, uh, <laughs> the quick Canadian uh, geography lesson, uh, BC has weed. Um, Alberta is uh, Texas, basically. Saskatchewan is flyover Banjo country. picking inbreds. Yeah, Manitoba is banjo picking inbreds. No, Saskatchewan oh, yeah. is banjo yeah, picking inbreds. We're banjo picking inbreds, and uh, Manitoba is where we kick crap out of them every Labor Day during our football season. Um, Ontario believes itself to be the center of the universe, especially Toronto. Um, Quebec is Quebecois or French with a chip on its shoulder. Uh, New Brunswick is boring. Nova Scotia, like it's literally sometimes called No, no Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> it is flat and covered in trees. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and it's also run by the Irving family, and they are evil. Um, and then Nova Scotia is basically Scotland. <laughs> it's literally called New Scotland. Yeah. Uh, Prince Edward Island is potato Anna farmers. Potato farmers and Anna Green Gables. Yeah. Uh, Newfoundland is a strange and wonder wondrous uh, fairyland <laughs> <laughs> with its own dialect of English. Like, I think Newfoundland English can be considered its own thing with its own grammar structure. <laughs> you also kiss the cod. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
to get screeched in. And then the territories, uh, Nunavut messed us up when it was created back in 99, was it? Yeah, oh, that was a wild time. Like, hey, kids, time to relearn all your geography because we have a new territory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's um, covered in snow and ice. And food's really expensive up there. Um, yeah, the territories kind of blend together when it comes to the stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Basically, like, the only real standard is the Yukon because they had a big time gold rush there. Yes. It's kind of like a last that. Yeah. Yeah, the Klondike, the best one gold rush in human history. Mm-hmm. Nobody got shot. <laughs> God, mostly okay. because the mostly because the Mounties would not allow that. Yeah. <laughs> also, I should say that I am in my cup. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just Too wide watching, a glass. I've been watching the level go down. <laughs> the recording the level of quality sorry christy it's Christina. okay yeah so <laughs> anyway <laughs> we can't we can't we are having fun and i really appreciate that uh my face is ready for all the smiling that i've been doing but also it came here to talk about the bouchards yeah <laughs> the bouchards. this this family of a-type geniuses because like like, yeah, Daniel, he isn't the cook, but, like, he's actually really great at numbers. It's like, you do you, man. You run this place, basically. You know, do math. Yeah. And then Mary Lore, before she figures out if she does or does not want to get into cooking, she's there to be the ocean of wit and basically mock her entire family. Well, yes, she is a teen. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she is quintessential shitty teen. <laughs> and she can do it in two languages. Good to know, good to know. Yeah, the, one of the things that I really wanted to do with the series, if it ever got produced to a TV show, um, was um, bilingual humor. Like, French and English, a lot of wordplay, mm -hmm. um, switching frequently between French and English. Like, my only, like, when it came to casting, like, my only, like, hard uh requirement for like the Bouchards in particular was that the actors have to be able to speak at least 15 minutes of French or 15 minutes of English. Good to know. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard casting phrased like that. Uh, one time I heard about it for Inglorious Bastards. Okay. Um, because like it was in production hell for a while because Quentin Tarantino could not find his villain. Um the the evil SS officer, um, and he needed to find because he needed to find an actor who could speak German, English, French, and Italian fluently. And he's like, I'm never gonna get this project off the, off the ground because I can't find this actor. And then Christoph Waltz comes in for the audition, and <laughs> he, he speaks. In. Yeah, he waltzed in, and hey. yeah, <laughs> and lo and behold, he is fluent in English, German, French, and Italian. <laughs> okay i've never so, seen that movie and i wasn't honestly planning on it but that's good to know <laughs> yeah also good to know for future casting if you need someone who is uh, multilingual in those particular languages mm -hmm. so how do we incorporate christoph waltz into this hmm. he, could, he could he could be the michelin reviewer who first sparks them on the road to greatness Actually, I don't know why, but when we first like came up with that plot point, I wanted it to be Will Wheaton. 
because Probably another because... oh that was another thing is that they find out that the only reason he was at their restaurant in the first place was because like he got snowed in yeah or it was a layover because like i i don't know was it you or i who came up with the layover idea because like i had a 24-hour layover one time oh yeah yeah which yeah. is the worst because it was also at Pearson International Airport in Toronto and it was also during a snowstorm. I think we kind of came up with that whole thing together because yeah. like first this sprung out of the fact that um, Michelin star reviewers are basically spies. You are yeah. not allowed to tell anyone that you're a Michelin reviewer. Yeah, Michelin star reviewers are basically spies. Um, You're not allowed to tell a single soul that you're a reviewer. If they find out then your like, credentials are immediately revoked. And basically, we wanted a reason for the family to have to track down the reviewer to make sure that he actually liked the restaurant and he wasn't just doing it because he was stuck there. Mm -hmm. I hope they gave him, like, a gift basket. Like, hey, like, like, I, like, we know this is, like, not something we're technically supposed to do, but hey, just, like, we appreciate you. (laughs) And we promise we won't tell a single person your secret. No. (laughs) Oh, gosh, you know what would be really good? You could have had, like, uh, like... Like uh, Marie Lord, the youngest daughter, right? Yeah, yeah. She she could have been tracking them down through social media. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everyone's like, "Who is this mysterious critic?" And she's like, "Found him." <laughs> <laughs> he checked in as being in as being in the town, same time frame. I mean, the Michelin people are so old school. I wouldn't shock me if they're not paying attention to some social media stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be easy for a teenager to find find them. Um, let's see, what else did we have planned for the Bouchards? Um, oh yeah, the Nazi fighting stuff, because poor Fabienne, she was a teenager during World War II, helping on her mom. A couple of her brothers joined up with the Resistance. <laughs> yeah, and I have a very dark sense of humor, so of course certain- Really? I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, like, I had kind of copy-pasted this one scene from The Great Escape into, like, one of the flashback episodes. Okay, but, okay. Yeah, basically, like, the uh, Bouchard family did help the Resistance because, uh, you know, screw the Nazis and all of them. Yes. They're I've, wrecking everything. Yes. I will. I think I've only ever seen Great Escape once, but I've seen Chicken Run a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... <laughs> Which is an excellent remake. <laughs> Look, I, I love and support Ardman Studios with all my heart. Yes. They do great work. I, I love it too. I've only ever seen it once, but the one line that keeps sticking with me is, My entire life flashed before my <laughs> eyes. It was really boring. Yep. <laughs> um, I guess super quick, like, were there any, like... Hmm. I'm trying to think of what I want to... Like, what, what question do I want to ask? <laughs> Um, what does everyone end up happy in the end? I know it's a oh, sitcom, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah, we want we want this to be a fairly like positive sitcom as opposed to you know a Chuck Lore sitcom. Yeah, like what? there's obviously there's some pathos because people bounce around and are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. Like even Eric and Ghislaine, or not Eric, um, Jean Philippe uh, and Ghislaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they reach certain points where they're not sure how they want to continue now that the restaurant is out of their hands. Mm-hmm. But so like maybe sometimes a season starts and they're like, oh, maybe this dream we pursued wasn't the one we meant to pursue. But by the end of the story, everyone has finally found their place. Good. 
Good. I I appreciate that a whole lot. Happy endings. They are very good, and they are uh, definitely better than everyone thinks they are. Yeah. And I think that we left it a bit nebulous enough so that, like, if we were writing out the script, we could figure out along the way what would be, like, the good ending for this character. Yeah. Because as we've learned recently, if you have pre-planned the ending, doesn't always work out. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it turns out that Bran is taking over the restaurant. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, there are so many bad implications with Bran on on the throne now. I guess, uh, do y'all have anything else that you want to add before we go into the final question? Uh, the ultimate question. <laughs> I think we've covered everything. I think the only other thing we could say is that we briefly considered making this a podcast rather than a sitcom. Yeah, like we've talked about making a podcast out of a number of our ideas. Yeah. Um, but I think this one lends itself the most to like a live action sitcom because there's the food part. Yeah, food like, part. There would be a lot of visual comedy and slapstick yeah. as okay. well. Yeah, like, cooking contest, because you know there's going to be some sort of cook-off at some point. <laughs> would would this be something that would be on, like, a, like a food network? A, like, a cooking channel? Or would this be something where, like, hey, just, you know what, stick it on Netflix. Stick it on Hulu. <laughs> um, I think it's Canada, so it would probably end up on the CBC. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm... Okay, the thing about the CBC is that... You have not... to marry into it. Yeah, you have to marry into it. Um, it's a complicated mess. Uh, the CBC is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. They're a national, uh, publicly funded um, television organization. And, oh God, are they a mess. Yeah. Uh, uh... So the other places would be, like, um, CTV and Global. Mm-hmm. Um, and City. And City, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you bring up Food Network, because I don't think Food Network has ever had anything scripted on it before. No, but like, that's, that, I went, I jumped to that partially because, um, when I had cable for the four years that I was, uh, in college, that was one of my channels that I watched. The other ones were, uh, the Weather Channel (laughs) and Power Rangers. (laughs) Um, The the Power Rangers channel. Well, Nickelodeon, but, uh, the, (laughs) but I was like, Putting it on the Food Network would get, like, you could have, like, fun guest appearances from, you know, like, Guy Fieri and <laughs> Rachel Ray and Reed Drummond, the pioneer frontier lady. and But then you would also have the budget to do all the really good food shots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, you could even hire, like, hire people who are professional cooks so that, like, all the cooking shots are actually of the people who are playing them yeah. doing the cooking. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And, like, um it's not the first time it wouldn't be the first time that um like a I guess a nonfiction uh channel had a scripted series. Like yeah, aside I was gonna from say we could be their Vikings. Yeah. Yeah, History Channel had Vikings and uh And look at it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh in that case then we probably should go to the uh last question for the evening, which is why do you love the Bouchards so much? <laughs> they're kind of like for me it's like the whole amalgamation of a lot of like I like shows about families I like um uh, I like food of course yeah. uh, 
Um, but also seeing like really, um, really creative people doing what they love in any sort of media that they that they use as their creative outlet or that they choose or whatever. Mm-hmm. God, I'm bad at articulating right now. Um, it's okay. You have something you could blame it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, one of the big appeals to this idea of having, like, really, like, high-level people doing something that they love. And, yeah, it's a comedy, but, like, being able to see them, like, come up with the stuff. And, yeah, maybe some of the comedy is derived with, like, how they got the idea for it. But, like, you gotta find humor in all sorts of places. And, like, there is some weird, weird situations where you come up with an idea. Um... And I just, like, one of the things, too, is, like, I had seen so many comedies where people, um, particularly smart people, are made fun of. And... (laughs) Big Bang! Yeah. Uh, I I could use language to talk about the show that I am not going to use on any of my podcasts. So, imagine it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it was also me kind of going, like, let's have a comedy about smart people but like the the humor isn't like oh they're let's make fun of the smart person mm-hmm. they're smart and they're funny and sometimes you are so smart you make weird decisions oh yes that is very true as a as a former gifted kid i can certify that 100 <laughs> percent. yeah <laughs> what about you tanner Oh, for me, actually, the reason they're so important is because I made them with Lindsay. Like, oh. we've, been fr- we've been friends for a while, and, like, f- like right from the start of our friendship, we would bounce ideas for stuff back and forth off each yeah. other. Yeah, but it this was in the- English class. <laughs> yeah, after you fainted reading Hamlet. No, it wasn't Hamlet, it was some assigned reading book. Oh, right. Yeah. We was, don't no, have wait. to go... Was it, uh, uh, what's his name, Oedipus? No, it was it was something else. It wasn't related okay. to the bad decision of pairing up Oedipus and Hamlet. Right. Uh, anyways, <laughs> like me and Lindsay had been friends for a long time, even when we started this, and we'd always been bouncing ideas off of each other. Mm-hmm. But this was the first time where we really started collaborating and getting a sense for what the other person liked and finding ways to incorporate both of our brands into a single thing and (laughs) we've done this like on other projects since then but this was really the start of the next level of our friendship you could say and like that's why when I first suggested this to you I didn't say oh Lindsay you should go talk to Bouchards or I'll come talk about the Bouchards like no this is a package deal we we both have have power over these people yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we co-own these people yeah yes uh, I, I, I guess that's, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both so much for being willing to come on the show. I had a very good time and I enjoyed myself a lot. My face is still like doing like the, you've been smiling a lot. So your, your facial muscles are going to be slightly more tense than they normally are. <laughs> the dream, the goal. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which one of you wants to promo stuff first? I know you have stuff to talk about. I mean, we pretty much, everything to promo is we do in tandem. Yeah. Um, But if you didn't catch it at the top, um, both of us run the Not If If I Reboot You First podcast where we take uh, existing properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fan fiction. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, We're also, the two of us, along with some of our other friends, have a uh, Pokemon tabletop actual play called Pokemon Adventures in the Millennium, where uh, I run it, Lindsay is a character on it. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at PKMN underscore Millennium. Millennium is spelled with two L's and two N's, which I it took me almost a full calendar year for me to find that out. Were you, like, typing that out in the dark, or...? No, I was just like, I was so certain there was only one L. <laughs> and then Benny finally pointed out, I was like, hey, the the notes you have on your Twitter bio don't match the actual word. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, and, um, oh yeah, you also got a Common Rider uh, I kind of now. have a Common Rider podcast with Lindsay's brother Ryan called Common Rider Journey. But okay. it's at the uh, podcast within a podcast stage, so <laughs> it's actually contained within uh, Super. Wait, oh gosh, Super SFN Network, SFN um, off, off the record. Yeah, SFN the, off the, the record. father podcast for the Common Rider <laughs> podcast. It might take over that feed at some point, but right now it's just it's nested within it. Okay. Yeah. Amongst other sideshows. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my brother is a very busy boy. I'd gathered. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, that's all our stuff. You yes. can go into your uh, conclusion. Okay. Uh, do, do you want to mention your personal twitters? Oh right. Oh, um, <laughs> you do have those too. Yeah, <laughs> those are kind of important now. Um, I'm at Lindsay M four seven six. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media stuff from there. <laughs> Thank you for catching yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I know what sort of podcast this is. And you can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart. The Home for Raymond OCs is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pippa, Stitcher, and wherever else you are listening to podcasts. Uh, our theme song is Violet by Pottington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. New episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter at WaywardOCPod or through the WaywardOCPod hashtag. You can also email us at waywardocpod at gmail.com. And uh, I am currently getting stuff lined up for the summer, uh, but if you or someone that you know might be interested in coming on the show, uh, please feel free to send me a tweet, send me an email. Uh, it, w it is most helpful if those go through the Wayward channel, because I am not going to be much on my personal Twitter within the next couple of days, just because... Stuff is happening, and it'll be easier if I can just check it through there. Um, but uh, keep an eye on that as well, because I will probably be putting out a call for uh, new original characters who want to come on the show. So keep an eye or an ear out for that, and uh, hopefully we can get stuff planned. And as of course, this is a podcast, so it is always incredibly appreciated if you can leave us a rating and uh, maybe a review on the platform of your choice because those help us to beat the algorithm and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been the Home for Your Widow Seas, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. No, the, f the funny part is when you look away and you look back and it's refilled itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I remember recording the mummy episode i had a I had a tetra of wine so that's like a bottle and a quarter of wine <laughs> oh, and
And I was like pouring myself hot wine and Tanner looks away for a sec, looks back and it's like right back up. <laughs> oh, like, that's my third one. Oh gosh. <laughs>